Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry, to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Well, hey, everybody. I am very pleased to welcome our guest today, John Berlingeri from Barrington Snow Removal in Holbrook, New York. Welcome, John. Hey, Phil. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. So, uh, first of all, New York's a big state. Where is Holbrook? So Holbrook is in central or eastern Long Island. And so we're out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and we are an island community. We get moderate or say like a temperate climate. So we don't get as cold as say upstate New York. So we have that coastal type of weather patterns which a lot of the Jersey Shore and Connecticut and even Boston would have. Sounds like a lot of mixed precipitation. That That is the name of the game. A lot yeah. of mix, a lot of tough calls, borderline calls. Um, definitely not straight and clear cut type yeah. of uh, snow events. Okay. So we'll come back to that in a little bit here. I want to I hear a little bit more about, so you said Central Long Island. Um, early in my consulting career, I had the opportunity to be on Long Island. And I had never been out there before, so I had no idea what Long Island was. Obviously, you hear about it all the time. But um, some people listening have never been to Long Island, New York. So tell us about the island. Like, like what's sure. it all about? So we're in the greater New York City metro area. Uh, when I tell people I'm from New York, they automatically think we're hailing yellow cabs every day. <laughs> right. But we, we in Long Island is actually one of the first locations in the country that uh, suburbia was created after World War II. So it is the typical picturesque suburbia um, on an island, say 50, well, it can range, say 20, 30 to 100 miles east of New York City. 
So a lot of uh, my friends' parents and my friends, they work in New York City. They take the uh, the Long Island Railroad and the other and drive into Manhattan. And, you know, just say it's it's a suburban, definitely not many high rises and a lot of office buildings, industrial parks. And it's a huge island. Like, how long does it take to drive from one end to the other? I'd say two hours from okay. from Manhattan to, to Montauk to the tip. Yeah. And it's I mean, about 30 it's miles not a, it's wide. It's not a small island. And, of course, there's there's huge money out on Long Island, right? Yes. Yeah, we have the Hamptons. And it's, it is, I guess, any area 50 miles surrounding any large metro area, especially New York City, is, is quite expensive. The property taxes are insane for like a regular home is 10 fifteen thousand a year for a quarter acre i mean this it's insane so the the rents and also the the, the prices for services are are quite high compared to a, a more rural area oh i'm sure so being in the central part of long island tell us about your service area do you go into the city are you doing stuff beyond that like upstate are you into jersey or trying to stay right on the island right now or where where are you servicing currently you're focused specifically on long island so there's two counties that make up long island it's nassau county and then the eastern part is suffolk county uh staying out of the city it's just a complete different ball game um, there's nowhere to put the snow so i guess there's a lot of melting a lot of hauling involved uh, on the island we do have some grassy areas well some of my accounts have have areas to, to push the snow mm-hmm. um, so it's just a definitely a different type of equipment that you would need and the type of contracts um, that the city would would require got it okay all right cool well yeah appreciate that that gives us a good framing of where you are because you're right when pe- people say well i'm from new york like well first of all new york like i said is a huge state from buffalo to upstate to but yeah people oh i'm in the city so yeah manhattan right Wow, yeah. what's it like to plow snow in Manhattan? <laughs> Long Good Island question. is not Manhattan. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so I, I hear always, horror stories. Yeah. I, I always want to know how people got into this crazy industry. So um, uh, I want to hear about your background. Like, did you grow up on the island? Like, what do you do as a young person? You know, what did your parents do? How did you end up in this line of work? So I grew up on Long Island um, and... Typical island islander who grew up on boats, uh, fishing, clamming, um, jet skis, you know, definitely on the island. Um, so my dad is an immigrant. He's Italian, but uh, born in Argentina. So I came from an immigrant family. My mom's American. Um, so grew up in a multilingual household. Um, typical immigrant story. Came from nothing. Worked crazy hours. Saved, saved, saved. Uh, bought a house. Built the business. So my dad. And his side of the family, they're in aircraft manufacturing, so defense contractors. Okay. So I grew up in a machine shop, um, nice. learning about machinery, aircraft engineering, um, packing, shipping, inspecting parts, running the CNC machine. So it came from a very high precision background. I mean, these the parts, the tolerances on the diameters of holes are 0. 0.0001. Wow. Like a, you would say like a millionth of an inch, you know, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the precision is, is insane. Um, so, um, that's, that's why a good I thing up... to hear as someone who flies on airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> they, that, John. <laughs> they take it very serious. The, the paperwork and the documentation because they're ISO certified and AF 91 certified. So 
learn about all the, the paperwork, the back end and inspections um, and the quality control. Um, so I definitely use that in the snow business. Um, but originally grew up uh, every day after school working at, at the family factory and all throughout high school and learned a lot dealing with accountants, lawyers, um, documents, contracts. So that's, I would say, I got my, my mini MBA before I was about 18, 19. Wow, that's fantastic. So very blessed. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I would imagine you speak more than one language. I do. Yeah, so we speak Italian, uh, speak Spanish, and, and my wife's from Brazil, so learning Portuguese. So if you mix Spanish and Italian, you kind of get Portuguese anyway. So, <laughs> so and English, obviously. So it's definitely uh, so it's uh, an count, interesting mix. right, that's four. <laughs> that's right. Yes. Yeah. Some, you know, not perfectly, but definitely conversationally you can definitely get by and travel with it. Now, are you using those languages in business at all or just more in personal basis? Sure. Yeah, they're definitely, uh, cross the line from personal and business uh, a lot of my my snow crew are portuguese and spanish you're from latin america so mm -hmm. and actually some italian guys so definitely mixing the languages and you know the spanish guys can speak to the portuguese guys and it's, it's funny how everyone communicates and we have some type of uh, common language that we all communicated so definitely use it all the time i mean it's just phenomenal um what a leg up right very few people in our industry, I think, have the command of four languages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to any thank degree. You. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so family business were they in, was the family business at all involved in snow or how did you, how did you see an opportunity in snow or what what brought you that in that direction? So dad's side, defense contractors, engineers, my mom's side were, had an excavating company. So my uncle, my cousin, my grandfather, they were all excavators. And of course, when in the uh, winter, they would plow snow. So they always had backhoes and front loaders and plow trucks. So I was always interested in, in that part of the business. Didn't get too much exposure when I was young, but late teenage years, uh, I would go hang out with my cousin. We would plow snow. So I I got a taste of it, of, of how um, all the logistics and, and how everything was, was running with them. And, and then I thought it would be a great opportunity to partner with them and, and work together because they already had all the equipment. I said, let's, let's try to get some more contracts. And I'm good at sales and marketing. So I was able to get the contracts. They had the equipment. And that's how I first was involved in, in the snow business. And where did the name Barrington come from? So it's an anglicized version of my last name, Berlin Jerry, because it's mm -hmm. too okay. difficult to uh, to pronounce or write. So I went with uh, Barrington. So um, tell us about your company. How are you? How are you set up, and what are you focused on? So we're focused on a lot of storage facilities. So I have a lot of contracts with the storage facilities, um, and we have actually the second largest industrial park on Long Island besides. Palo Alto, which would be Silicon Valley. They're the largest industrial park in the country. And then the Hapag Industrial Park in Central Long Island is the second. So we have a lot of clients uh, in the industrial park. Um, so a lot of warehousing, distribution, office buildings. Um, I've kind of stayed away from retail. I do have some retail, but a lot of medical industrial storage units. It's less foot traffic, less liability, less exposure. Um, 
is there not as demanding? I mean, it's still very you know, highly demanding, but I would say probably retail big box is, is a little tougher. Um, but I do a lot of uh, assisted living homes. That, that's very high uh, priority and high tolerance. That's probably like the highest um, priority clients that we have, assisted living homes. Especially we have ambulances coming in all the time, so the salt and the plowing needs to be tip-top shape. Yeah, and like you said in the beginning, um, a lot of uh, iffy storms that you got to be ready for all the time, but they might go to rain, they might be mixed, they might start out as snow, then flip over to rain. Like you got to be prepared for everything, right? You're right. And we've had a whole <laughs> list of those type of events that it would snow for two hours and then change to, to rain for two hours, then all freeze up and then snow another six inches. So it's it's a lot of tough calls. Um, a lot of our clients trust us. So we, we do make the right call if we're going to pre-salt, we're going to salt in the middle of a storm, after a storm. Um, you know, what type of equipment are we going to be using? It's, it's tough. And it's amazing that we can go to Mars and go to the moon and the weatherman can't, <laughs> can't <laughs> right. predict the weather. <laughs> is, is it going to be one to three inches or it's going to you know, rain or is it going to turn into eight inches? They have no idea. They're so no I'm better sure than I'll, flipping a coin. 50-50. Yeah. Unreal. So, so, <laughs> so I'm sure, you know, a lot of other members in, in the uh, snow industry have to deal with the same thing. But it's definitely yeah. tougher here because it's it's borderline. You know, is it going to be 33 degrees in cold and snow or, you know, can we can snow at 35 degrees or snow in the upper atmosphere and then freeze when it gets to the lower atmosphere? It's it's very tricky. A lot of Yeah. And the other thing calls. that I think is just extremely difficult for companies out in your part of the country is you can have a winter where it never snows and then you can have just these massive snowstorms whereas you know here in the midwest we're going to get you know i'm in grand rapids michigan you know we're going to get 50 inches to 80 inches like pretty reliably like it's gonna right. snow <laughs> you might not yeah. be able to say what day on the calendar is going to snow but it's gonna snow like you could have a whole winter where there's nothing right well, last year we had seven inches and our average is low 30s. Um, this year we hit about average. There's like 34, 35 inches. Um, and then the year, so last year was seven. The year before that was 15. But then, I mean, the year before that was like 60. So it's it's all over the place. You're having the right equipment. Like, are you going to rent equipment? Are you going to lease equipment? Are you going to buy? It's, it's definitely tough to forecast because if you would have leased or rented a bunch of equipment and you didn't have seasonal the year before you would have got crushed. Yeah. And then just trying to, you know, get, get customers on board with seasonal contracts and working out caps and floors and all that kind of stuff. I can imagine that's, that's, um, a challenge for you <laughs> to say the least. And, and you and, and Neil from grow the bench and snow fighters have, have helped me immensely for any questions I had, you know, I just want to say thank you and yeah, I'm very grateful that. and blessed, you know, if, Questions from billing to customer issues, equipment. Uh, Neil is an expert roof type snow removal. You know, he was <laughs> always true. available. Uh, you know, you were always answered texts and calls. Um, you know, when challenges arise. So I, I definitely appreciate that. And, and we went over uh, quite in depth about the, the floor ceilings. You know, how to deal with seasonal contracts, or refunds on seasonal contracts because you want to be fair to the customer. And, you know, we did have to issue some some credits or, or refunds last year when we only had seven inches of snow, but we're looking at it 
with a long-term view that we want to be servicing these clients for a decade or two, not just looking in the short term. Oh yeah. Um, I know you got your certified snow professional designation CSP, and also you went through the advanced snow management program. So CSP and ASM are behind your name and your credentials. So I'm curious about, you know, your thoughts about professional certifications and those two in, in particular. And, and then you're also involved in some other professional development things. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about those two things. Sure. So it, when I did join Saima, I believe two, three years, yeah, I'd say two, three years ago, um, when I went to the first symposium, I saw these other gentlemen and, and ladies had CSP behind their name in ASM. And they were generally at the, the most well-respected members and, and highly regarded at, at the symposium. So that piqued my interest and, and I wanted to see what was involved in that. So I did some research, reached out to a few people at SIMA and, and just took a deep dive into the uh, CSP and ASM over one summer. I think it was about two summers ago and such an amazing amount of knowledge and, and industry specific material that, that definitely helps you broaden your horizons and, and understanding of of the snow industry it's not just a, a guy in a truck plowing you know learning all the logistics all the, the chemical science that was something that was that was quite interesting i didn't know how intense it was um and just spending the time you know taking the test reading all the material i mean it's definitely not easy but it's it's definitely worth it and and i'm happy that i did do it and i recommend it to to anyone else that wants to raise their their knowledge and and I'm going to be having a few members of my team take the ASM shortly. So one. definitely looking forward to that, implementing that. Yeah. And then what else are you involved in? So a few years ago, I, I trying to expand myself um, in, in entrepreneurism and entrepreneurship, excuse me. And I came across a, a network. It's not necessarily a networking group. I was in a few networking groups at the diner that you would, meet each other and give each other business advice and leads, but I wanted something more of a mastermind group. And I was looking at a, a few different organizations and I came across something called EO. So it's, it's called entrepreneurs organization. And it was exactly what I was looking for. There's no solicitation. It's, it's pre, purely a mastermind group. It's for individuals that have successful businesses that gross over a million a year. So, you know, you're dealing with successful entrepreneurs um, and everyone does well. Everyone respects each other. Um, I call it to, actually one of my forum groups is, is called Entrepreneurs Anonymous. So it's, it's kind of like, nice. <laughs> like a, an AA group for mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, for successful fellows. Because like, who do you speak to? You know, it's limiting, you know, what you can speak to your wife or girlfriend about or even some mm -hmm. friends that are nine to five regular folk. Um, so it's, it's definitely tough to be able to share your experiences and not be looked at like you're crazy, like unique hiring situations that all entrepreneurs need to go through, uh, insurance, HR, growing the company and, and learning from, from individuals in different industries. Now, how often does that group meet and are they meeting in person? Yeah. So meeting in person. So we have chapter events about once a month or once every six weeks. So we just had an awesome car event at, um, at my office. We had hacks throwing, we had, um, like all exotic and classic cars. Uh, we had a, a bourbon tasting, cigar rolling, and a big barbecue. So that was cool. That was like two weeks ago. And then you have forum, 
which is one of the main benefits of EO is, is forum and you, it's from five to eight individuals and you meet once a month and it's very intimate. Um, you deep dive into each other's businesses and personal life with marriage, kids, what's going on in business, partner issues, you know, how you can grow your business and everyone just pushes each other and supports each other and highly confidential. No one speaks about anything outside of forum. Um, and I became a board member for my chapter for the Long Island chapter. And, and I love EO so much. I'm in two forums right now. So, <laughs> so I meet every two weeks with a different forum. Okay. Actually, I, have, I have forum on Wednesday. <laughs> so John, one of the things people always want to hear about is software. Um, and you're using a software program that I wasn't familiar with until you brought it up, but it's, it sounds pretty cool. And I've checked them out on their website. Tell us what you're using for software. So for the weather reporting, I'm using true weather mm-hmm. and they've been, been great. They've been helping me out a lot with the certified snowfall reports and also predicting what's going to happen and just being able to plan for events properly. And, and also backend software been using Yeti and it was my first year using them and they've been great so far. Um, like to deep dive more into their services and just, I'll be preparing more over the summer and, and just uploading more of the lists and, and the routing. Um, they have maps for each location, stacking areas where to push the snow. Um, just all the GPS, the before and after photos. So they, they've been great. That's cool. What about um, for equipment? What, what, what if you're, what's kind of your go-to a uh, piece of machinery, or if there's maybe something that you're, you've recently been experimenting with, like what's your perspective on that? So talk to us a little bit about some of your go-to equipment. Sure. So plows, I've been, go-to has been Doug, Douglas Dynamics, so Fisher and Western. Um, more Western, but Fisher has been great. So those are the go-to plows on all the trucks. Um, Salters. I've used the salt dogs. They're actually pretty good. I mean, they, they do get a bad rap, but as long as there's no sand uh, and it's straight salt, the, uh, the salt dogs have been amazing. And we have a bunch of them and I'd probably get some more. I'd like to check out the Western tornadoes. I've heard good things about them. Um, let's see what else. Pusher boxes, the old school Protex. Just keep it simple. Uh, I know a lot of guys have been using the Arctics and, and uh, Snow Wolf and everything. I might try them out this year. And equipment-wise, see, now we're snow only, so we don't do any green work, any mm-hmm. any work in the summer. So it's hard to justify a buying yeah. a $200,000 loader or $150,000 loader. So, And also, in our snow market that we touched on before, are we going to get seven inches this year? <laughs> it's going to run for 10 hours. Mm-hmm. Or this year, we probably put about 100 hours on it. Right. So we don't put it a lot of hours on the equipment. So it's hard to justify spending a lot of money. So I feel like buying a 20, well, $25,000, dollars $50,000 loader that has, I don't know, 5,000 hours or 8,000 hours. And if you're going to put 100 hours on it, that seems to be the sweet spot for us. So that's what I've been doing. I've been buying a bunch of payloaders, keeping them on site. And the value is not really going to depreciate anymore because they're at their depreciation curve. And if I put 40 grand in the loader, I know I can use it, make good money with it throughout the season and have it for five, 10 years. And it probably won't depreciate anymore. And the maintenance is very little. And I start them up every two weeks. I put GPSs in them. 
Um, actually, I was just starting them up this week, this past weekend, and just checking the maintenance, checking the move. tires. Yeah. So um, I'm always curious about what it is that attracts people to the industry. So you kind of tell us about your history, and you know, you saw some, you were exposed to it with through your family business, and and that kind of what led you into it. But like, you have other business ventures, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, you know, and you're a young guy. Like, why are you doing this? <laughs> what is it about snow and ice <laughs> management that that attracts you so much that you want to be this deep in it with a business and then buying equipment, investing in software and all this stuff. You could do anything you want, John. Why, why are you doing this? I ponder that same question <laughs> in the middle of every blizzard. But you know, one of your interviews with, uh, with Chris Marino, he said it best that, you know, we only do this 10, 15 times a year. I know you want to kill yourself there in the event or, or, or wring someone else's neck, but it's, it's an amazing experience. I mean, I feel like uh, a general, during war or you know in a battle with with all the the camaraderie all the teamwork everyone's working to a towards a common goal trying to get the parking lots clear get everyone safe um and it's and there, it's a time sensitive issue so sometimes being in the office all the time it, it gets played out so I, I definitely look forward to snow season all the logistics um and it's and it's definitely a challenge. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, it's probably the, one of the closest things to war that, that you could probably be involved with. And, and the money's That's good. That's a great perspective. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the money can be good. Um, it's lucrative. Yeah. And then people look at you as, as the expert. They're relying on you. You know, I've, literally, I'm sure, you know, myself and many other individuals in, in the snow and ice management, we're responsible for tens of thousands of people. Like in an office building, maybe there's 500 people, a thousand people there, and you have 10 office buildings. You're literally responsible for 10,000 people and and their safety and well-being and and an integral part of the economy, keeping all the businesses open and safe and distribution and it's amazing. Couldn't have said it better myself. It it's just a great perspective and it's that emergency service mentality, right? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're the fire department. Right? Yeah. For snow. <laughs> Say it all the time. Where do you think the industry's going? Like, what are some of the trends that you're kind of watching? Definitely getting more professional. You know, seeing the industry 10, 15, even 20 years ago, um, it was just, you know, a guy driving around, maybe having a couple beers, plowing a few driveways <laughs> or, or uh, plowing some office buildings. I mean, now it's super professional. Just there's like zero tolerance for for snow or, or people's tolerance for snow is just like nil you know and, I've, and i'm sure we've all seen this in the past um, you know for the older guys 30 40 mm -hmm. 50 years and just every year it gets worse like if there's a half inch dusting they throw a fit um so they're definitely the recording of of the before and after photos the gps tracking you know, how many times I had disputes this year with bills and I was I'm lucky that, that my team members took photos or I had the GPS, you know, because people will fight you on the bills and I'm sure everyone goes mm -hmm. through this. Absolutely. So having everything recorded and not even touching base on, on the whole liability issue, you know, when a lawsuit comes up 24 months later, you definitely want to have all that data mm -hmm. uh, ready to, to litigate and for court. Yeah, you used a word early in the beginning of this interview. You said high precision, and you were talking about aircraft manufacturing. But um, 
and we're certainly not a high precision industry yet, but, but I think there's a lot more precision going on here. I think that's where this is headed. Like you say, with the zero tolerance, with different contract structures, with risk management, I think we're becoming a much more, um, precise industry when it comes to those things. Wouldn't you agree with that? 110%. Absolutely. And I can imagine how it's going to be in 10 more years. Right. You know, and also looking forward to the future. I mean, and I've sent you a few articles. You've sent me articles about robotics and AI. And I, I can't wait for the time, hopefully soon, that you buy a pickup truck, you plan out the route, and it just goes around in circles in, in an office building or an industrial <laughs> park. <laughs> or, just have a picturing, I have this vision of this warehouse somewhere. It could be anywhere in the world with like yeah. a thousand, you know, little, little geeky 13 year olds sitting in lazy boys, like controlling snow plows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have those video games. I forget what they're called, but I, I typed in plowing on online, even on Instagram and it's kids. They, they simulate and, um, they plow like there's computer games for plowing. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not that far away. You could literally no. control a, a loader with a huge pusher box on it, you know, from your living room. So, so if that right. can happen, you know, that could be outsourced to anywhere in the world, which would be interesting. Um, whole different business model. So, um, like I mentioned, you also are involved in some other business, um, ventures. So tell us a little bit about those. Nothing proprietary, of course. Sure. Um, so before, well, complimentary to Snow, I uh, was an e-commerce seller and I still am. So I sell products on Amazon. And then in the winter and, you know, the summer with the whole sales uh, sales process, I, I jump right into Snow. But it was nice uh, being on Amazon FBA because a lot of stuff could be outsourced to Amazon and to other services. So that was my main thing. Snow in the winter, Amazon throughout the year. And then through EO, actually, I met my my current business partner and mentor. And at the beginning of COVID, we, you know, we saw what was going on and, and what needed to, to be done and with all the, uh, the office disinfecting and the decontamination. So we were doing research online and we saw that there was a need for some type of a booth for people to have their temperature taken, be sprayed with some type of, of disinfectant and have their hand sanitized. So with my aircraft engineering and my partner's engineering skills, we invented a sanitizing station. So like I said, walk through booth, take your temperature. There's also facial recognition features involved. So it recognizes you to make sure you should be in the building. There's a wall-mounted hand sanitizer. So you get a squirt of hand sanitizer and then you walk through the, the disinfectant spray, which is safe for people to walk through. And that was something that worked out perfect with, with snow because COVID started, I guess, what, beginning of what, 2020? Well, in the U.S., like when it got mm -hmm. really serious. Um, yeah. So snow was winding down. And then in March, April, um, my partner and I just went full into inventing the sanitizing station and had it to market end of May, June-ish. And, and have been quite successful with it. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, we, you and I have talked about this um, several times, and it's interesting to hear the the big opportunities that are out there. It, it um, 
And and just the speed that you were able to bring that to market, right? Right, like from idea to, hey, we actually have a product to to deliver. That's amazing how fast you guys did that. Thank you. A lot of eighteen hour days, sleepless nights, being speaking with Chinese manufacturers at three a.m. Um, so through the aircraft manufacturing, we were able to have a prototype made here, and then everything else, forming the corporation, website, marketing materials, um, the technical drawings, um, just sourcing all the different components, putting it together, a lot of trial and error. We had a kind of three, four to five different prototypes um, applying for the patent trademark. I mean, it was definitely my fastest launch, you know, within like 60 days, it was crazy. I just disappeared. I didn't answer my phone and talk to any friends. My wife barely saw me. But that's what you, those are the sacrifices that need to be done. Well, I know you talked to your business coach, so appreciate that. Yes, and um, Phil, I, and we spoke about it <laughs> intensely. Yeah, we did. absolutely. Um, so, John, what advice do you have for someone who is either considering getting in the industry, or maybe someone who's maybe considering getting out of the industry? What do you What would you say to that person? Hmm someone getting in the industry, I would say read all the content that's out there, sign the websites, go to the symposium. If you can do a, an ASM or even a CSP, um, definitely speak with other industry leaders, YouTube, a big, big proponent, YouTube and podcast, um, the snow talk podcast, you're the snow fighters podcast. Um, and everyone's so willing to help you out. That's what's amazing about this industry that everyone's we're, we're all in the same battle in the same mm-hmm. war and if you ask someone a question you know they're usually unless they're right in a competing market with well, you of course. <laughs> generally everyone's very open and just to hear how how different companies perform snow removal in say ontario or in washington dc or in colorado it's, it's amazing everyone's different perspective the different equipment and um, methodology behind it mm-hmm. yeah um, and some people are kind of burnt out and they're, they're looking for, you know, a new lease on life in the industry. What would you say to that person? Who's kind of like, oh, I can't hire anybody. I can't find good subs. You know, there's customers aren't loyal. <laughs> like, do they just need to move on John? Or what would you say to them? That is a, a very good possibility. Um, it's all on perspective. Are, are subs a pain? Sure. But you know, just, it's like dating. You have to go kiss a lot of frogs to, uh, to be able to find the, the good person. Same, same with, with, with customers. I mean, I'm firing a couple customers this year. just driving me crazy nonstop. And you know what? It's always the smaller customers that usually drive you crazy. You know, the bigger customers, you know, they might pay slower because that's just the, the nature of the industry, but feel free to fire customers. You know, if you can get rid of 10, 20% of your customer base, you know, depending on how large you are, the ones that drive you crazy, um, because it's usually the Pareto principle. Eighty percent of the problems come mm-hmm. from twenty percent of the customers. And yeah, that's a great point. Finding um, that fitness, getting the right customers, getting the right employees, getting the right subs—it's all about fitness. And it is. It, if you can have the right fit and have the right uh, relationships with the right people um, and set those up properly, um, man, it just can be such a great business to be in. But I think that's truly, I agree with you 100%. I think that's why people struggle and they just throw their hands up because they they haven't sought out the right customers and they haven't sought out the right business partners or the right employees or the right subs. And so everywhere they turn, everything's against them. 
you're right. And and we get to choose our customers, right? You know, generally they're not forced upon us. So sometimes it's better to walk away. Like even at some HOAs that I've interviewed, I know they're going to be a nightmare. You know, do I really need this money or do I really want to stress myself out? So, so I'll just pass on them. And and then, you know, it's funny, I, you'll end up running into other guys in the industry that worked for that same company five years ago. And, and you hear the horror stories. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> listening to your gut feeling like, works. Thank God. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, John, what didn't we cover? What do you what do you want to share that we didn't um, get into yet? So I found the disconnect that there are a lot of gentlemen that have companies um, and they look at snow as their tertiary business, right? Their first business is masonry or landscaping or excavation, tree work. And then when October, November, December rolls around, they're like, hey, is there any snow work? Um, so I saw that disconnect and built a sales team, got the contract, sold the work. And then, you know, we do have our own trucks, we have our own motors, skids, but we definitely needed help. Um, and plus a lot of these subs are, are experts, right? They're running equipment 12 months out of the year. I mean, they're amazing. They have, they have the trucks, they have the maintenance, they have the manpower, um, for, for shovel crews. And just what I do is, is I, I like to bunch and batch stuff. So on a lot of times Saturdays and Sundays on, you know, in, in, in the late summer or in the fall on a Sunday, generally it seems to be the best days that from 11 or whatever, 10 AM and every hour I'll meet different subs. So I'll, I'll schedule say four or five different appointments on a Sunday and meet with, with subs every hour and, and either meet them at the yard, show them the equipment, meet them at the office and, and just interview subs. And you can get a feeling on, you know, what car they or truck they pull up in, you know, how they're dressed, the way they speak, um, you know, doing some research about them online, their reviews and everything. And again, I, I refer it back to dating. You know, it's like you're you're on Tinder, swiping right or swiping left <laughs> for for subs. Actually, we should invent something like that. <laughs> Tinder snow. I'll give subs. you three months, John. <laughs> up and running. <laughs> Let's launch it. <laughs> um, but I, I definitely think that subs can can definitely expand your service reach and and always redundancies, right? Our, our whole business is redundancies. Um, trucks are going to explode, blow transmissions. Loaders are going to go down. Hydraulic lines are going to pop. And of course, it's always in the middle of, of a storm. So I, I rather lose a little money, lose a margin, lose 10, 20%, but have extra subs because you know it's going to be a disaster. If you know you you usually need 10 trucks or 10 subs. I'll bring on 13, 14, 15 to say, for example, one guy won't show up. You know, we've had trannies blowing loading docks. Um, and, and I'm so happy that I had extra capacity and worst case scenario, if nothing does happen, you get the job done faster. Yeah. So what do you think? What, what's the, what is this winter looking like for you? Is this a growth year for you? Definitely a growth year. Um, try to do some more institutional government bidding. Um, so we'll see how, how that goes, but always expanding, trying to look at replacing those problem customers that we spoke about earlier. So I definitely have 10, 20% headache mm -hmm. customers that I'm still <laughs> dealing with now. I mean, it's the beginning of May How's fighting with billing. Mm -hmm. Um, so <laughs> if get you say, first so, and then replace get, them. 
<laughs> that is that is Phil's words of wisdom. <laughs> it's get paid first, then you can tell them to pound sand. Um, but a good metric that I use is that if you think of a customer and your stomach starts to turn, you have to change them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. And I'm sure that's it. I'm right sure there. we all have them. Yep. <laughs> or if you don't want to an- answer the phone when they call. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a problem. Yep. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, I'm, I'm real excited. We're, uh, starting to get back in person. I'm real excited about the snow fighters events coming up this year and, uh, you know, SIMA events getting back in person. And so, yeah, um, hopefully we'll be, we'll all be in person soon and, and being able to network with each other back in the industry. But, um, so I look forward to seeing you next week in Ohio, John, at our event. And um, yes, sir. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Anything else you want to share with our audience here? Just never stop learning. Never stop reading. Um, you know, it's, there's no room for stagnation. Either you're going forward or going backwards. There's no status quo. So, ton of resources out there: YouTube, podcast, articles. Um, and finally looking forward to in person. I mean, there's nothing like face to face speaking or being able to, to chat with someone over lunch for half an hour, an hour. I mean, it's, it's very intimate and it's, it's amazing because there's really not that many contracts. It's not like there's a million contractors, you know, I don't know how many, a couple thousand throughout the country or a thousand, you know, 10,000. So it's, it's amazing to, to be able to speak with everyone and snow fighters, right? We have the event in May and the next one in June and then Simon's coming up. Absolutely. So looking forward right. to it. Beautiful. Well, John, I appreciate it very much, man. My pleasure. Thank you, Phil, for all your wisdom and knowledge and all Absolutely. being there. You I and Neil. Thank it. you. Thank you. Take care. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Snowfighters Institute podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go forth.